Hey, two things um, as, we, as we go forward into our sermon this morning. Um, I would encourage you, number one, to have your Bible in front of you. Uh, physical, analog, paper, copy, or phone. Dial away, whatever you want to do. We're going to be in uh, our text this morning, which is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, it's going to be simple, uh, at least in some sense it's going to be simple. Uh, we've been going through the book of Romans. We just finished Romans. Um, 54... 54 sermons through Romans. Uh, by the way, okay, by the way, speaking of, of, uh, of Jess Hampton, uh, Jess and Wes were driving me home from something last night. And so Jess, Jess came with Melissa and I and, and, the, and, the, and the flowers, and we all planted Cross City 12 years ago. And I was just doing the math in the back seat as we're driving along. I'm like, man, poor you. You've listened to 600 sermons from us. I'm like, and I did the math. I'm like, if, uh, like an hour and a half services, that, that would be... That would be 37 and a half solid days of listening if you were <laughs> to listen. That's a lot. That's a lot. Oh, man. And then you host. All right. So um, here we are in 1 in, uh, in, in Peter. We just finished Romans. And, um, uh, you know, I think uh, out of all the things I've ever got a chance to, to teach and to preach through, Romans was probably, uh, probably the greatest honor because it's just this deep, rich, fatty of a book. And um, I got done, and there's just all kinds of um, extra pieces. So uh, I'm just going to use this analogy. Um, one of my favorite restaurants in town is Smoked on High. It's over here on High Street, best brisket in the world. And, um, and, and when they're carving up, Donovan and I were there this week, and maybe I was there last week with somebody else. When they get done carving up their brisket, there's often chunks of it left over. And everyone knows those should not be thrown away. So if I can, I like to harvest such chunks and bring them home. And um, um, you get done with Romans, and when you're going through Romans, at, at the speed we did, I know it sounds like 54 weeks is not too fast going through Romans. It's actually stunningly fast <laughs> to go through Romans. And there's just all these ends, beautiful pieces of brisket, or asparagus if that's so you, that are just left over at the end, right? And I feel like there's a couple of things I wanted to cover between this week and next week that were themes that came up through that book that I feel like we just need to take another push over because we didn't have time as we got into it. Uh, okay, so uh, all of us have, have come to this room. Uh, most of us come to know Jesus. And when we came out of the one thing that's true, when we came out of Jesus, out of, out of the world to Jesus, we came out of darkness into light. Now, some of us came out of left darkness, and some of us came out of right darkness, right? Uh, leanings in different ways. We've come out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, and, and having so, we've lived under our convictions of conservatism or liberalism or progressivism or whatever. You know, we've come under these systems, and we've lived under them for a long time. We hold them pretty dear to our heart. In fact, our social structures are usually built around that. Um, maybe not our family sometimes, but a lot of times our social structures. But then, as gospel people, we eagerly now, so what defines us is that we sit at the feet of Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, we go, we as Christians have fundamentally said, I hear what you're saying. You're the way, the cross. You're the truth, that's reality. You're the life. You're the one that gives it. Like, it's all in you. So I sit crisscross applesauce at the feet of Jesus and say, you teach me. You teach me. And what's super important as we sit at the feet of Jesus is to always reach back in our back pocket and realize you've got a fat paper journal back there of rules that you've believed in your heart all along the line as a conservative as a american as an african as a whatever any liberally you have these rules 
that very subtly, unless you pull those out and submit those to Jesus, you will try to make Jesus play within those rules. And you'll push him off when he violates those rules. You may not even be really that aware of those rules, but they're deep in our hearts, right? And so as we hear Jesus, all of a sudden we're like, oh, I don't like that. That's because he's violating your pre-existing rule book. But we're gospel people. We confess, and when we yield our heart, we yield all of those things to him. We don't say, hey, all right, I'm going to submit to you in all areas of maybe uh, science or all areas of morality or all areas of this and that. No, the whole thing. You come and die before Jesus and find that you may live. And so whether you're from the right or the left in coming to Jesus, we all now sit at his feet. And what happens is, because we are not like ourselves and he is, as we sit at his feet and learn, exposed to the light, it exposes darkness, not only in us, but in our whole code of thinking. There is darkness in us. I don't care who you are. There's darkness in your thinking and in your heart until Jesus brings the light because you weren't the enlightened one. He is the light of the world. So you have to be ready for that. You have to be welcoming it. Um, until you go home with heaven, you're saying, God, bring light into my, my darkness. Still the corners of my mind that still have these areas that are not aligned with you. Bring it, bring it, bring it. Bring it not only to my mind, but bring it to my heart. But it's got to bring it to your mind to get to your heart. So... That can be a little upsetting for us sometimes, a little bit concerning when we find out that we've been a part of a problem all along. What we thought was light is actually darkness. And when we first hear that, it's offensive to us, it's scary to us to hear that Jesus says, what you thought was light was actually darkness. And that all along, while you thought you're trying to do good, you, me, we have been promoting Rebellion and anarchy against God and neglect and murder and injustice and mutilation amongst humanity in the words of Romans Here's some of our sawdust off of Romans claiming to be wise. They became fools That's you. That's me in our darkness and as we sit at the feet of Jesus and the light comes out of Jesus and he teaches us It shows us things in our thinking and when it takes your breath away. I just want I want to beg you brothers and sisters let him take your breath away. Let him show you the darkness, the parts that aren't quite exposed by the light of Jesus. Yet. Let him see it. Don't slap his hands off it. Don't slap the hands of Jesus. Let him reach out and touch it. Let him point it. And I'm not saying you have to kind of completely agree to it because you may not fully understand it right now, but don't deny the fact that he's illuminating it by touching it. And then it's time to probably after this sermon, whatever, to start reading and thinking and studying and try to figure out, like, Lord, give me your mind. Am I fully understanding this? Did Scott overstate something in some type of way? So that is the truth of life in Jesus as light comes into our dark world. So part of that, and we talk as a church about the, human, the value of human life. MVM for us is part of the value of human life. Those kids matter. They are created in the image of God. Those families matter. They're created in the image of God. Those moms and those dads and those kids, we want to pour our lives into them. And so it's incredibly valuable. One of the other ways it's incredibly valuable is that we as humans are different than the rest of animals. We're made in God's image. And so it's not right for us to take those lives. It's not right for us to take, uh, to unjustly take life away because it doesn't belong to us. We cannot destroy innocent life. So that's why God calls us to defend the innocent and, and the vulnerable. Um, this week, one of my friends, um, his son, I don't know if it was a gas station or what, but he looks over, and there's some guy beating a woman in a car. 
right? And because of Jesus, the guy goes over, rips open the door, and hauls the guy out of the car. Gets into a confrontation, not because he's angry, but because God has called us to defend those who are innocent, defend those who are hurt, right? And like, he had a choice at that point, just to like, walk on by, just walk on by, ignore it, or else to be in the heart of God and be a defender and a helper on those things. So God's called us to care, care for people. So for here, us across the city, one of those big issues because of our culture is the issue of abortion, right? And across the city, we openly hold that killing babies post-born or pre-born is wicked. Uh, have we done it in our church? Certainly we've done it in our church. We have, we have had it done. We have done it. It becomes part of repentance and forgiveness in our lives, right? Number one, notionally that it's wrong. Number two, actively because we have asked for it to be done. Uh, we have performed it on somebody. It becomes repentance and forgiveness as part of, the, part of our gospel story, who we are in Jesus. But we have to stand with Jesus now and help those who have voiceless lives and address the concept that is something that is wicked. And it's, not, it's part of our unwise and sinful solutions to the life that God has given us here on this planet. So this is the first time thinking about it. I just want to say this because maybe you come from a category where you're like, wait a second. I've always thought that that right is like fundamentally how we're going to help, help people. I'd say just first of all, start with this. Will you sit submissively at the feet of Jesus and learn your way of thinking from the light, not from what's inside of you? Let's just start there. You don't have to agree with me for the day. But for us as a church, that's why you're going to hear us talking about abortion and those kind of things from time to time. And so right now is a season, um, you know, right now we're in a season coming up with voting, those kind of things. And again, proponents of abortion are going to be coming in in November for a big vote coming in. Um, and that then brings us to this issue one thing, which is a pathway to that vote. So once again, this topic of defending of the innocent and the lives of children is on the, on the, on the, the docket. And so for me, I've been reading Romans. And I've been seeing the kingship of Jesus. And we're going to break out the kingship of Jesus here. And, 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 it, and it's been flowing through into the actualities of my life. There is this weird thing that we as Christians do. We call it the sacred-secular divide. Sacred-secular divide. That's where you got my Jesus world, and then you got my real world. And my Jesus world, oh, I like it. I wear the jersey. I probably might even die for it at some point in a gun to me. But it's, it's, it's boxed up. Jesus is kind of ceremonial. I'm loyal to him, ceremonial. But then I got the real world. And honestly, my real values and those kind of things. It's called, we call it the sacred secular divide. As if there was an area to which of life which God was king over and it belonged to God. And then a bunch of area that was outside of his domain, outside of his reach. The area of reality. That is in no way the message of Jesus. It's all sacred. It's all sacred. Jesus is the king over all things. And so um, as I've been trying to think about this in my life, um, I'm thinking about the abortion issue, those kind of things. I was thinking about, do I put a yard sign out in my yard, those kind of things, and how God would lead me. Um, and then another issue in our neighborhood that I've been engaged with some friends on, the kingship of Jesus has been um, pressing upon my heart. And I've been noticing agitations and worries and strains and like anxiousness in my heart and those kind of things. It's been really good. And I just want to bring things that I've been learning about that from these texts to you guys for, for your help and consideration too because um, I really think that a lot of us are suffering weakness or stress in our lives by our undetected but deeper loyalty to something or someone else over Jesus. There's a lot of stress because, it, because we, we are loyal to Jesus. Oh, we like him. And we're like a person with a foot in two different canoes. If you've never been in a canoe, that's yeah, right. 
Uh, if you've got a foot in two different canoes, uh, you're about to do the splits. It's really unstable. It's really concerning. Um, and a lot of us, I think, in our walks with Jesus, we have the sacred-secular divide. We have a foot in Jesus, but we still have a foot of trust. Maybe a greater, deeper, we don't know it, but we lean more on that other canoe. And there's a stress there because we have this dualistic worldview that isn't correct. So I want to push into it. And I want to help us think things through. I want to challenge you. Um, so, so maybe I've run over your toes with the abortion issue already. Um, if not, I'll run over your toes as you're thinking and that kind of stuff about the kingship of Jesus. But Jesus only runs over dead toes, right? And Jesus doesn't come in. He's not mean to us. He's not harsh to us. He's come and bring life to us. And so go with me in this journey. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It's a simple verse, and we'll bounce out of that. But let me pray for us. Father, I um, obviously am just a, just a weak, walking human being, born 2,000 years after Jesus, um, completely covered in sin, completely in darkness, a fool claiming to be wise, became a fool, and you and your stunning grace came to me in the desert of California a long time ago and told me who you were in the scriptures. Um, off the lips of some old ladies in our church, and my mom and my dad, and my grandma, and my sister, and friends, you told me who you were. Um, and I'm so thankful, Father, that you revealed yourself to me, that you saved my heart, and not because it's good, but because you are. And so I just forever proclaim that I am a, a saved sinner, loved by Jesus, not on my own merit, and Lord, that is the case of every one of us in this room, and you've given us your spirit. And so I pray, Lord, because of your love for us as your children, that you would please shine forth light into our darkness. Um, take new ground in our minds and our hearts this morning. Um, let us understand ourselves, maybe more than we've understood. Um, secure us in our thinking to you. Give us strength that we've never had before, and joy and confidence we've never had before. So I pray for all that in the work of your spirit. And so may your spirit help us listen and think and process. And may your spirit help me be clear this morning. In Christ's name, amen. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, my friends, I'm an old person. I'm 50 years old. And um, back in the day when I was growing up, right now we kind of got two Bibles that loom out there. If I, if I divide our audience right now, almost everyone in here, by and large, is going to have an ESV or they're going to have an NIV. But back in my day, in Chris's day, when we were first going to church, what would happen is there's like eight versions out there. They're all good, but like when you're trying to memorize the Bible, you... You've memorized every verse in like three different versions, and so when you quote it, like this hobgob of stuff pours out of your mouth, and then you just look like you know what you're saying. Um, and one of the old versions that I read um, actually was a very literal translation. It was good in some great ways, and, and so when I quote this verse to you, another version is going to come out, and I'm sorry about that, but it's actually a little clearer. Um, our version I just read to you, which is the ESV, which we, we preach out of every week, it, I think it's a little, it's, it's fine. It's fine there, right? Uh, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. And uh, closer to the Greek text, 
Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Sanctify. Set him apart. Put him on the shelf. Like, like settle the issue. Christ is Lord. There it is. It's a little more literal, right? So our text, our, our title of our text today um, is this. Christ is the rightful king. Christ the rightful king. Now, I, w- I want to... All right, this is where... We're, okay, just... Just get prepared. Get your trail shoes on. We're going to go a little off-road here. And I might have to ask our beloved slide people to go backwards and forwards and some slides that I've not prepared them for. Um, But I want to start with this. Uh, Hey, guys, can you put the gospel slide up for me? When we talk about gospel here, you know, the way I like to talk about gospel, um, we talk about God making the whole place, right? He's speaking to us in his word. His glory, the, the greatness of who he is, is dead in center. He can't deny it. We're designed to have a relationship with him, designed to be God-centered, but every last one of us biffed it. We're below the line. We're fallen, right? We're enemies and aliens. We're separated from God. We think we know what's up, and claiming to be wise, we became fools and dead and darkness. And so hope is lost the fall. But then God is proposing something, offering something to us, reconciliation. Some sense restoration, but way better than restoration where he would be our treasure and our authority. And with that comes the adoption of God for us as sons and daughters, and that being to eternity for heaven. But he is king to us then. It's a, it's a, it's a transfer of title. This week I'm going to be transferring the title of a vehicle that we're going to have in our family, and it's going to go from someone else's name into my name. And that offer is God saying, there's going to be a transfer in title. No longer are you going to be in the title in the fall. Now I'm going to be in the title and the offer. And if you want that, then we've got to talk about Christianity. Right? How is that going to happen? Because James isn't going to do anything about it because as nice and wonderful as he is, the man doesn't have a lick of righteousness on his own and he's full of sin like me and like Nathan behind him. So how's James going to have this new offer? Jesus says, here I am. Jesus comes and lives and dies and rises again and does everything needed to make that a reality, to bring James under that offer, to grant that offer to him. And how does that happen? We respond. We hear the call of God saying, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls, whoever places their faith in that promise, um, you are saved. He puts a spirit into us. We go get in the water to demonstrate, hey, I'm all in. I belong to him now. And we go into a life of where we love God now. We love his family. We love his world. Right? That's how we explain it. In the Gospels, if you're reading the Gospels, like this week we're doing our scripture soak through Mark. Um, if you're tracking what Jesus is talking about, Jesus, by and large, I would argue in his ministry, is mostly clarifying fall and offer and doesn't really talk about payment that much except for the fact you ain't got a payment. I guess that was one of the problems because they weren't being clear on the fall because they, because they, weren't, they think there's still some hope there. They were supposing themselves to be the payment. So in God's people, in the Jewish people, people were not listening to the message well for years and years and years. And they were supposing that we're not so fallen that we could possibly still kind of pull this off and do some good deeds and be Jewish enough and do some sacrifices and like tithe my mint and dill. And eventually like I become my payment to grant me oneness with God. And Jesus goes, not a word of that. Jesus is fall, fall, fall offer. And he's, so he's clarifying what the life could be with God in opposition to what it actually was. That in some essence is the nature of his ministry and what he was speaking so often. As he leaves, he commissions his spirit um, to be with his disciples to really unfold more the essence of the payment. Okay? Today, I want to talk about the offer. Because as we talk about the offer, we talk about him being your treasure and your authority. 
And that's absolutely true. You can't, Jesus is going to be your Lord and Savior. As you're going through the book of Romans, 38 times in reference to him being our Lord and Savior. Like he is our Lord, not our advisor, not our buddy, the owner and master completely over all of our life. But here, here's what I want to poke in today and how it comes into me thinking about uh, emailing somebody in my neighborhood about a position on something. He doesn't claim to just be your Lord. Us coming to him is us welcoming his universal lordship over all things, including you. So while you take on the lordship of Jesus, we're saying, yes, Jesus, you're the Lord, and I'm going to submit myself to you. So often we think, okay, so Jesus is my Lord. He's my own personal pocket Jesus. And I pull him out like, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm submitted to you, and you're going to rule and leave me, and put me back in your pocket. And he's like, well, my Jesus, my Lord, my Jesus, and what I think. That's not what Jesus is advertising. Jesus is not telling you he can be your own pocket Jesus, your own pocket Lord. Like He is coming and saying, yeah, I'll be your Lord, but I'm the Lord over all things. So our first piece today, um, if you guys can hit me with my first slide, is this. It's coming. It's such a good slide. We'll just wait for it to load. It's an amazing point. Is the Lordship of Jesus settled? Is the Lordship of Jesus settled for you? I just want to read some texts. Okay, these are all just shrapnel largely out of Romans as we went along. Again, I'm just taking all those cutoff ends and we're putting them together. Consider this. I'm making a point. Jesus is not claiming to be just your Lord. He's claiming to be the rightful and true Lord. My question is, is that settled in your heart and mind? So consider these texts. Number one, Jesus counts sin and chooses to forgive. He's a judge. Romans 4.8. Blesses the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Romans 9.28, the Lord Jesus will carry out sentence on the earth. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Third, belief and open agreement to the universal lordship of Jesus is necessary for salvation. Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So often, that is slightly reworded in your heart. You're saying, okay, so if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. No, 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 no. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, the universal Lord over all things, do you, under, do you kind of feel at this point Jesus is like spreading his wings here? <sighs> pocket Jesus blowing out of your shirt pocket right now and going, no, 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 no. That's not, that is not simply what I'm ex expecting of you. Hit the nice, next slide for me. Romans 11:34. Jesus' thought is the ultimate, incapable of having a higher or better counsel. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Answer, nobody. Or who has been his counselor? Answer, nobody. So Jesus' thought is the highest. There is no counselor that can, he can reference. Like His thought and his heart and his mind are ultimate over all things. Jesus is the Lord over all the living and the dead. Romans 14, 9, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. And Romans 14, 11, Jesus will prevail over every soul. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee, by the way, when Jesus, when, when, God, when God says, as I live, that's definitely him tapping the mic, as I live, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Um, what's our next slide say? Romans 15, 11, Jesus is to be praised, admired, and adored by all the people of the earth. Is to be. 
Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And then I think, honestly, in a stunning, okay, let, let this kind of stun you. I, I know I keep pointing this to you, but I feel like sometimes I'm throwing this bucket of water and it just kind of runs off the car. Um, look at the stunning authority of Jesus in his words, not just in his scope of authority, but his testimony. Mark 13, 31, Jesus' words are themselves the grounds for believing his claims to authority. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. My words will not pass away. And there's just a gazillion texts that we could go to after that point we're not going to today. I just want, I guess I want to point this out to you. Is it settled in your heart and mind that Jesus isn't just your personal Savior, Christian? That he is the rightful Lord over every square inch of this world, over every people group, over all time, over all planets, over all history, over every stitch of ethics and morality there is, over all epistemology, over all philosophy, Jesus is the Lord over those things, the rightful Lord over those things. I think sometimes the reason I feel a little bit funky in talking to people is because maybe that's not so well believed by me in the moment. Or it's kind of theoretically in my mind, but not moved to belief in my heart. I may think that there, is more, there are more sure grounds, but if we could prove it somehow, if I could get a smarty smarty at a podcast to say this, or if I could get a group of smarty smarties or influencers to say this, then it might. Or if my neighbors, like, I may not actually be contending and believing clearly with what Christ has claimed, that he is the universal Lord over all things. That is his claim. Ephesians 1. He gave him to be head over all things. All things. So number one, is it settled in your heart and mind exactly how wide and how strong and how authoritative the kingship of Jesus is? And then number two, are you possibly embarrassed by it? So sanctify Christ as Lord. Is it settled in your mind that Jesus is not only the Lord you've submitted to in the gospel offer, but the actual and rightful Lord over all things and people, including the authoritative source over all reality, truth, morality, goodness, and beauty? Is that settled? Is that settled? So as I threw threw that bucket on the car, um, I I can guarantee you, if you're like me, a bunch of us just run to the ground, and I'm just kind of putting my hand on the sides of your car, like trying to get some of that water to stay in the car, right, and to, to consider this. May the Spirit of God help us contend with, like, what? I mean, just who in the world does Jesus think he is? Just who does he think he is that he could claim that type of authority? <laughs> who is the Father saying that Jesus is? My second point is this. Is the Lordship of Jesus shown? So, number one, is the Lordship of Jesus settled? Number two, is the Lordship of Jesus shown? Let's go back to 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, or maybe better translation, whatever translation it is, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Settle the issue. And you have to do that. You have to to respond to Jesus. Jesus has settled the issue. He said, I'm here, and I am Lord, and I'm, I'm absolutely right, I'm absolutely true, I'm absolutely good, and I have absolute authority. Here I am. The question is, have we gone... You're, so you're saying everything? I agree to that, and I believe it. Have you come to that spot? You could be a Christian and still kind of wrestling with the corners of that. That's okay. Let, let Jesus touch that dark spot of your heart. Let him illuminate it today and make you go, oh my gosh, like what is that? 
and submit to him. Let him, let him do his work. Let him speak truth. Like he, he spoke the world into existence. He can help you. He, he spoke his word into your life, and he saved you. He can help you. Everyone that he saves, he will continue to change their hearts and their minds. It's called sanctification. Every last one of us. Let him do his work of sanctifying your mind and your heart. So is it settled? The second piece is, is the lordship of Jesus shown? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. In the end, last words, do it with gentleness and respect. Don't kick people's face. Don't be mean. Don't be aggressive. Uh, do it with gentleness and respect. Probably that's fairly clear instructions for us. I think we've all told our kids that, or as kids, we've all told our parents would do that to us. Gentleness and respect, probably enough said on that. So let's backtrack to this last statement here. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. So just when I think, oh, just when I think that I'm like, okay, I get it. Jesus is the universal king over all things and all places and all times and all people. And I'm like, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. One of the gracious exposing effects of Jesus is that he often allows us to speak of that topic to people. And that's when you tend to realize just how much you actually believe that's true. So I, for one, put a yard sign out in my yard this week. And one of my neighbors came by and we had a conversation. And basically, they asked, why? Right? And in that moment, I could appeal, I could appeal to what I thought would be the true and most reasonable Lord, the real authority. So I could have gone to like some things, whatever, but I feel like because I've been reading in Romans, I just need to increasingly be more clear of how often the Lord is allowing us to explain the gospel by simply stating the essence of the offer. Jesus is the true and real king. He tells us what's right and wrong. And he says he loves human lives, whatever color, whatever age, whatever socioeconomic status. And so therefore, I'm doing this move, right? I would, I would answer the question by the reason for the hope which is certainty. Hope is certainty, your New Testament, right? So the, 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 the defense for it is Jesus. There's no higher grounds to refer to. They may not agree with the moment, but there really is no higher grounds. But what's happening inside my heart, I feel that there is a higher ground a lot of times. Like, oh, if I could show, how, if, I, if I can get reasonable with them and show them the common ground of like, but, but don't, we want, don't we all want what's really good for everybody? Don't we want to be reasonable? Don't we want to be gentle? In my head, what's happened is, and I'm not saying if you use that answer that's, that's wrong, it shows you're idolatry, but what I'm saying is when you're grasping for that, you're grasping for the true authority on the issue and the true power on the issue. Is Jesus the true authority and power, and can you speak of him? Or is your heart showing you that you're scrambled to grab for a deeper, truer, more sure, more transformative tool, demonstrating that maybe the issue isn't settled in the first place for you at all? And I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying, let Jesus put that light touch, that ET touch, right? And like bring light there and go, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not really understanding the universal authority of Jesus. Consider these texts. This is Mark 8, 34. Uh, oh, I got, a, I got a slide. I think. Oh, here we go. Mark 8, 34. And, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So again, Jesus going like, follow me. Not consider me, follow me, right? A couple of verses later. For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, 
<laughs> oh, anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this, in this adulterous and sinful generation. Because remember, that's the way Jesus is describing it. We live in a dark world. That's that sinful and dark generation. Of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So what does it mean to be ashamed? I mean, I think a lot of times we're like, we kind of put a flamboyant spin on that. But it means to simply distance yourself from. Ashamed means to not be proud of, to not hold as best. So the argument here he's saying is whoever chooses to distance themselves from me and my words in order to identify with the sinful and adulterous generation, the road divides. Boom. Jesus is saying, like, there is a divide in the road, and you've got to be in one. You're going to be with me, proud of me, not distancing yourself from me, or you're going to be proud of the world and not distancing. You're going to distance. You're forced to distance. Who will the distance be from? Your old life in your old world or will be from Jesus? Because Jesus comes in and says, I am the light of the world. Everything else is darkness. Uh, consider these texts here. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. Can we have more? Next slide. Same book. Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed. I'm not ashamed. I don't distance, I'm not distanced from him. I know who I believe, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what, he has, been, what has been entrusted to me. So, brothers and sisters, I, I'm, um, I know it might be a little unsettling, this, but like, do you, does your soul have, is it a reality in your heart that you are clearly proud of Jesus and quite comfortable of referring to him as the grounds of authority, as the grounds of right and wrong? And maybe because our world continues to get dark, what if, what if, what if this? Okay, all right, Scott Burns, sandbox in my mind for a second here. We do Gospel 6 training. I ask every soul in here, let us train you for a day. It'll happen in, in the spring, okay? But we talked about these six spots of gospel. But maybe a shorter version of that is fall offer payment, okay? Which is like, from what to what by what? From what to what by what? And maybe the shortest version of it all, when that person says, why do you think that? Now, I know I like to jam in as much as I can in that answer, right? I try, I try to give as much as gospel I can. But, but maybe I've been, I've been experimenting th with this lately with people. I haven't been talking about the payment so much in that first conversation. I talk about the offer. Because um, I find, well, I believe that because Jesus is the true and king, the true creator and ruling king over all things and is utterly good, summoning all people to himself. And then I feel this need to speed up. And then he came and he lived and died and rose again so that all people who trusted it, right? So I'm like, I'm jamming the cross in there, right? And all of a sudden I find I've just jammed this big thing in there. And now it's just a confusing bit. But maybe if we're watching the work of Jesus, when Jesus comes to a, 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 a rebellious world, a confused world, he largely speaks offer first. And his second breath speaks payment. So maybe our answer, a very clear answer, a very helpful answer is someone goes, hey, why do you think it's why do you think it's right to care for the poor? Not debatable, usually. Well, then you can say, well, you could, you could refer to, like, well, we're all poor, whatever. You can refer to something lesser, but maybe that's the moment to go, because Jesus, the true king, has a heart for it, and he told us that we should care for them as an extension of him. Point right to Jesus. Jesus, the true and rightful king, he's summoning all people to himself, and that's part of his ethic. Well, why would you be honest? Why would you give things away? Why do you think we should abolish this? Why should you think we should start this? 
Maybe our answer should be, find your own way to say it. Jesus is the true and rightful king, the definer of all these things, and he has spoken what is good and true. Stand with Jesus. Don't distance yourself from him. Don't do it mean. Don't do it stodgy out of fear, honestly, or anger. Don't do this with your arms folded in your heart or your body, but with joy. Like, as you do when you're really convinced something is true and good. Wrestle in your heart. Let the issue be settled. Jesus is true and good, but will you stand with him or will you be ashamed from him and distance yourself from him? For me, I find what happens in my heart is my heart is showing me a tendency to distance because of something greater that I believe that isn't Jesus. And so he's reaching in there. He's bringing light to my heart. He's showing me. And then I'm going through Romans, and I'm going, the king, the king, the king, the Lord of the living, the Lord of the dead, all things. That, I mean, Jesus is just spreading his wings, and he's saying, like, don't be ashamed of me. Like, be my voice. Let people know of the true king and his presence. Maybe your suffering and your stress in this life that you're feeling as a Christian is because you've got your feet in two boats. You've heard Jesus. You're pulled to him quite a bit. But very unknown to you, you've got one foot and a little more weight, honestly, and belief in the other boat, which is you think that there are some things that are more legitimate and trustworthy to personally trust or to communicate to other people rather than Jesus, the authoritative king, and his authoritative words. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's worth really wrestling out before the Lord. Like, what does he mean when he says, sanctify Christ, not as your Lord, but as Lord. Sanctify him, do the issue, settle it out in faith. Christ, you are Lord. And then be ready to give an answer to those who ask for the certainty. What is the answer? The answer is Jesus. Don't let, your answer, don't let your answer be a diversion away from Jesus to some kind of commonality, weird common ground type stuff. Like, let your answer be the reason for the hope, which is the king over the whole world who communicates through his words. And in that moment of time, let his words come through your mouth. Now, of course, what do we want to do? We're hoping that it lands. I, I did it earlier this week, and it landed. Like, I said it, and I could tell the person was not pushing it off. So then we moved into a second layer. Right, because I want, I want this person to know Jesus. I'm hoping they'll be here this morning. They're not. I want them to know Jesus. In fact, I want them to come to know Jesus. I want them to like, like grow and get stronger and become like the next Apostle Paul. I want them to grow through the roof. But in the moment, the moment was a declaration of Jesus. And when I put it there, it sunk. It seemed to my eye, it sunk in. And so I went next. And I tried it with some other people this week. And I said it, and it did not sink. It went, bing! just skipped right off of them, right? They're like, oh, right? But at that, at that moment, as it skipped off of them, I had the choice. Will I be, a, will I be ashamed and distanced from, uh, so obviously it skipped off of them. And there's a moment of ashamedness. Who will I be ashamed of? Am I going to be ashamed of the worldview that it skipped off of? Or will I, in the end, be ashamed of Jesus and backpedal in my heart, backpedal in my words? But Christ claims to be the Lord of all. So establish Christ sanctify him as Lord in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks because actually, folks, there are way more opportunities than ever before. And I might encourage you, number one, to settle it and then let it be shown and let what is shown be the kingship of Christ. Find your own words for it. Try it out. Talk to your MCs. Like, try things out. Um, bring back the reports. That was not helpful. That was confusing. That was amazing. My heart was so, oh, I failed. Like, tell us all, man, let's rest in the work of Jesus Watch as Jesus does his work in us. All right, let's pray. So, Father, I am just going to leave my brothers and sisters before you.
in a, in a moment just for all you guys to pray to the Lord. Is it settled from Scripture that Jesus is the Lord, not just my Lord? And do I believe that genuinely? Or am I still finding it open to distance myself from him in order to draw near to something else? Just talk to the Lord about that. Jesus is so good that you draw us near and speak to us. Your word's clear. Sanctify Christ as Lord. Be ready to give an answer. So help us. Father, help us see clearly what you're saying. Help us, help us lock into it logically at the mind level. But then, Lord, give us the grace to lock into it at the heart level. Father, where we're struggling with this, please show us what we think is more trustworthy. Let us see the face of it. Let us see what we think is really better than Jesus, what is more authoritative, what is truer and better than him. So, Father, please rip the mask off. Let us see it, and let us see clearly Jesus, and Jesus win our hearts over to you, and then win countless hearts over to you through us as we trust you. And we thank you so much for giving us all of this in your love today. In Christ's name, amen.